Hello. In this episode, we'll be learning about building biology, what it is, what it means, and how it can help you in creating your sustainable home. So let's dive in. Welcome to Get It Right with the Undercover Architect. This is the podcast all about designing, building, or renovating your home. I'm your host, Amelia Lee. Think of me as your secret ally. I am on a mission to help you create a home that makes your life better, whoever you're working with and whatever your dreams, your location or your budget. Together we'll uncover the nitty gritty of how to get it right and how to create a home that works, feels great and that you feel great in. So join me now. So what is building biology? I actually find that many homeowners aren't necessarily aware of this field or aware of that terminology, and yet it's actually been around for a while, and it can be a really helpful resource if you're trying to create a home that supports your health and well-being. Now, Wikipedia actually defines building biology as a field of building science, investigating the indoor living environment for a variety of irritants. Practitioners study how the environment of residential, commercial or public buildings can affect the health of occupants and produce a restful or a stressful environment. An important areas of building biology uh, look at building materials and processes, electromagnetic fields, radiation and indoor air quality. After World War II, new houses were rapidly built in Germany to accommodate the growing population. And studies of these new houses found that an unusual pattern, they found unusual patterns of illnesses. And it was concluded that these patterns of illnesses could actually be attributed to the rapid construction of these buildings. The rapid construction had given materials insufficient time to outgas the various volatile organic compounds or VOCs, and these VOCs instead harmed the occupants. And so the illnesses were also, so the illnesses were attributable to the VOCs, and they were also attributable to problems with the electrical systems of the homes. So from these discoveries, a study began in earnest among a few individuals to catalogue and characterise these VOCs. And what emerged was a standard of building biology method of testing, which had recommended threshold guidelines for sleeping areas where one is believed to be most susceptible to the impacts of this, of this indoor environment because it's where you're spending a large amount of time. And a small group of individuals formed and they started up the Institute of Building Biology, which started a training system for building biologists. So this was back in the 1970s. So it's actually been a field of study that's been around for some time. Yet I know personally it only hit my radar uh, several years ago when I started learning more about uh, low-tox living and how our environments could impact our everyday health. I will say though that in my practice over the last couple of decades, this it's been it's been something that has been discussed a lot and I've learned a lot about in my practice, but it's not been necessarily under the terminology of building biology. So it's um, obviously for me, that term has been something that's turned up a few years ago, but you know, particularly in commercial and public and office environments, the quality of the indoor air environment and improving it has been something that has been measured, tested, known, and really sought to improve, you know, I know for, for many, many years now in my practice and in, and in the industry in general. So what I find is interesting is it's not something that necessarily penetrates the mainstream of residential design and construction across the industry. So now, when I, you know, I will also say when I started learning a lot more about this topic, um, and I used to listen to building biologists uh, talk about this information, I'd actually come away feeling a little bit hopeless and overwhelmed, and you know, it, it very, very much felt doom and gloom, and like the sky was falling in. And I, I remember listening, um, the experience of listening to a friend of mine, Jules Galloway. She interviewed a, a very well-known Australian building biologist um, on her podcast, and they talked about. EMF or electromagnetic fields and about mold and just the impact that this can have on our health and our well-being and particularly our children. Now in my own home and you know we bought this home and we moved in we've not done very much to it at all but the way it's set up is where the internet comes into the house and it's terminated at the house it's right next to 
it's in our lounge room and it's right next to the lounge suite. And, you know, that's where that, that's the point where it came into the house already. It's directly below where the dish is on the roof because we use um, wireless NBN where we're located. And the TV is nearby and all of the home's hub is nearby because we don't have fantastic internet where I live. And so everything's kind of capitalizing on being as close to the box and as close to the inlet as possible. And we rely really heavily on the internet where we live. You know, we're in a regional location. I run an online business and it's dicey. It's unreliable. So, you know, everything is where it needs to be for the internet to be as stable as possible. Um, And also the the electrical fuse box in our house is on the wall outside mine and my husband's bedroom. It's on the shared, that external wall, you know. So what what has been really interesting for us is, and as I've been learning more about um, electromagnetic fields and about building biology, is just seeing how poorly this house personally is set up and how it's not something that we can immediately do anything about until we renovate. But what we're obviously doing is is trying to improve that situation because, you know, moving all of these electrical items is a very costly exercise. And and you get this feeling of, you know, I know it's not great and it's impacting my kids, but, you know, what can we do if we can't afford to change it? You know, let's just add this to the list of things that I get to feel guilty about. You know, there's also, of course, the toxic products in our home. You know, the mould is really rampant where I live. I know that's the case for, for lots of um, homes in lots of certain climatic Um, regions as well so it just all keeps adding up and it can become really overwhelming very quickly and and a a great source of fear for a lot of people and I've seen this happen time and time again um, for people as they learn about this information and and start to feel um, very confused and overwhelmed by it and this is not what this is about and I hope that when you hear this interview that I've got coming up on the podcast that you understand that that I'd really encourage you to not fall into that feeling of hopelessness. Um, I've personally had to give myself a mental reframe about it over the past few years. I've talked with you about how my dear friend Alex Stewart um, in her business Low Tox Life in her online courses, you know, her approach is all about incremental change. When we know better, we do better. You know, I've actually shared a hotel room with Alex quite a few times because we've attended conferences together. And, you know, for example, she will ask me to make sure that all of the um, the Wi-Fi is shut down on my laptop and my phone before um, I go to sleep at night so that um, that it's all on airplane mode because because it naturally activates as soon as you open the the laptop lid and you know at home I now try and do the same so I make sure that all devices are on airplane mode um, I ask the kids not to put the iPads on their laps when they're using them you know that the, the the frank truth is we're surrounded by these devices in every area of our life and there's certain things that just we just we we just live with um, and that we can't control. And so, you know, and I know, I well, I personally feel that this is only going to increase for our kids um, as more and more of their life is wrapped up in technology. You know, I, I went to university over 20 years ago and you know, for us using a computer meant going to a specific lab in the university. And, you know, my two eldest kids by comparison were asked to get iPads when they started school um, because uh, in their, you know, in their school in Brisbane at the time, they were implementing an iPad program. So, you know, there's, there's, uh, there's this rapid rate of change that's occurring in our lives. I feel that uh, what the biggest Thing that we can do as homeowners and as as conscious, you know, consumers, um, is to get informed and to understand where we can improve things and what is within our control, so that we can make it as um, as improved as we possibly can for our budget and for our lifestyle and for our situation. And there's loads that's actually doable in your existing home, and definitely if you're building or renovating, um, that won't cost you any more, but simply requires some knowledge and a desire to put it into practice. So. So, you know, without further ado, please let me introduce to you Narelle McDonald. Uh, she's much more qualified than I am to discuss building biology. And so Narelle McDonald is a certified building biologist. She's also a Feng Shui consultant, and she's the founder of her business, Healthy Living Spaces. She's also the president of the Australian Society of Building Biologists, and she's an advisor for the ChemFree community. Her focus is on environmental health for the home, and she has a special interest in children's well-being. There are many elements in the 
the building that can affect the quality of life, physical health, emotional well-being, and improving our health in all aspects of our life is important as everything is interrelated. So building biologists have long been aware of this and consider our homes our third skin because of this connection. Now, Narelle is passionate about providing education and empowerment to those she works with to bring positive, lasting changes, creating healthy buildings, conscious consumers, and bringing balance and harmony. Narelle believes by combining both the science of building biology and the ancient art of feng shui that this holistic approach enables us to create amazing spaces to flourish in. Let's dive into our interview. I hope you really enjoy it. Well, Narelle, it's fantastic to have you here. I'm really excited because building biology is one of those topics that I know a lot of people are interested in, but probably don't understand the nitty gritty or the details or how it can really apply to them when they're building or renovating. So I'm really, really grateful to have you on the podcast and joining us today. Can you just actually give in in your words uh, an outline of what building biology actually is? Sure, Amelia. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Um, Really, building biology is a field of environmental health and we look at the different aspects of pollution that can be in our built environment and um, and we identify those that can potentially make us sick. Um, it consider, The thing about building biology is it considers the relationship that we have between us and our buildings and the environment and our primary focus as building biologists is on the health of the occupants. That comes number one for us um, and we know that there are many health effects that are correlated with health hazards in the home such as asthma and allergies and chronic fatiguing issues and Australia currently has the second highest rate of allergies in the world. Um, yeah, so if you didn't know that, but we do. Um, so really, building biology has been around for quite a while, but not a lot of people in Australia know about it. It originated um, in, from the 1970s in Germany um, after the oil embargo, and we started to tighten our buildings, and we actually started to modify the way we built Um, It wasn't until the 1980s that the World Health Organization coined the term um, sick building syndrome and that became a little bit more known. Um, But, yeah, I think the thing with building biology is that traditionally in the past we we always built just to protect us from the elements. And then after World War II came along, we, we created, there were so many changes. There was changing in our building practices, changing in our farming practices, um, the amount of chemicals that became common in the environment became ever increasing. Um, so there was a whole host of changes that happened across a broad, broad range of things, but particularly in the building industry. And so a lot of the traditional ways that we used to build were discarded because we wanted things faster, quicker. You know, it became, we started to look at that model of better living by chemistry and so things started to change across the board. That's amazing. <laughs> and, I mean, it's, it is. It's one of those things that I don't think people are aware has been around for as long as it has um, and that, you know, when you actually, you know, I've talked on the podcast this season about how, the stats show that we spend between 80 and 90% of our time indoors now. And, and when I look at what happens in commercial building practices and what's been happening in commercial building practices for a long time in terms of our office environments and our public building environments, that level of analysis about the health of the interiors, yet that hasn't necessarily translated mainstream into how we go about building our homes and the types of materials and products that we choose to surround ourselves with. It's really still a niche area isn't it so it's quite amazing to see that it's just not more mainstream that it's not more known by by people who are building their or renovating their own homes yeah well exactly and I mean I'm married to a builder we've got a building business in Melbourne um and I look back to when we were doing some renovations earlier on in our lives and you know I've got photos of me heavily pregnant painting the architraves with oil based paint because I just I didn't know I didn't have any idea I just figured that if I was buying something it was safe it was regulated and I didn't need to worry about that I always assumed that that was looked after by somebody else Um, and especially because because we've become so energy efficient and conscious 
which is not a bad thing because we definitely advocate, you know, to, to look after our environment and to be conscious of what we're doing. But we don't want that to come at the expense of the health of the occupants of the home. And so what's happening is because those those building envelopes have tightened, we haven't actually we haven't actually considered um, what we're actually bringing into the environment. So what happens is because the because the materials contain a lot more chemicals, so if those chemicals can't be released from that environment and they're building up and there's a lack of fresh air exchange, well, then those VOCs or volatile organic compounds are hanging around inside the house and are being breathed in by the people that are living and working in those spaces. Yeah. Can you tell me how you actually got into building biology? What, what was sort of your journey and how you became interested in it enough to actually turn it into your career? <laughs> um, well, I, I think... What happened was I, um, I've always loved buildings, always loved architecture. Like I said, um, pretty much every one of my brother-in-laws is in the trades. We've got a building business. Um, I love old homes. We've renovated a few homes in Melbourne. Um, and there's just I just love bringing back those those buildings to life. You know, it's a really special thing. I come from Perth originally and there's a lot of project homes there. And even as a young child, I didn't like that style of building. I never have. It just it just didn't work for me. Um, and so after I had the kids, um, I wanted to move in a health related wanted to move into a health related field. And um, I initially was going down the counselling road and then I ended up studying at ACES because I love feng shui and I used to do that as a bit of a hobby and stuff like that. And that was where I was introduced to building biology. And I had one of those sort of aha moments when I was sitting in the classroom and Nicole was talking and I was listening to her to her thinking, this can't be right, you know. And so I immediately started studying building biology at the same time because it just uh, piqued my interest. And what it made me realise was I actually lived in a flat in London um, that was in a very that, – that caused me to have many, many health effects. So basically we moved into a brand-new flat. It was one of the last flats we lived in in London. Prior to that, we'd lived in a lot of house shares. They were older, run down. There would have been other issues in those houses, such as mould um, and potentially lead paint, that sort of thing. But in this new house, I was like, great, it's all new. You know, we're the first people to live there. Awesome. It's clean. But it had wall-to-wall carpet, synthetic. It had just been painted. It had a PVC lino in the kitchen, brand-new cabinetry, all new soft furnishings, even had uh, carpet in the bathroom and it was wow. the middle of winter. Yeah, and so, of course, we ended up, we had massive condensation issues. We never opened a window because it was winter and it was freezing. Uh, Mould started to grow in the bathroom and within weeks of moving in, I was really sick and I had chronic respiratory issues. I could not breathe properly. I was like, it really, it undermined my health quite in a big way. And I went to many doctors and specialists and no one could figure out what was going on. And what I remembered when I started studying building biology was like, no one ever asked me about my environment. And not once did I ever think that it was this new flat that I'd moved into. It never even crossed my mind. And yet, funnily enough, when we moved out, I got better. So, you know, it was it was like I was living in a plastic bag full of chemicals and that's what can happen in these traditional new builds where lots of chemicals are introduced and there is not enough fresh um, air intake and those VOCs um, don't migrate out of the building envelope. And we know now in, from recent studies that have been done by Tim Law at the University of Tasmania that in temperate climates in Australia, one in four builds will have condensation issues within the first year of its life because the water vapour is not being migrated out of the building. So these are the things that we, 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 we need to look at this. You know, this is a big problem here in Australia. So there's lots of things that we can improve about the way we're building and understanding what we're doing and taking a little bit more time, I think, too, getting out of that mindset where we need to do things really fast and really quickly and we're not considering, you know, our homes are one of our biggest investments. They're our castle, Yeah. We love, it's the Australian dream to have our own homes. So we want to make sure that those homes are going to provide nurturing and safe environments for us. 
Yeah, that's very, very true. Perhaps we could talk a bit more about those mistakes that you do see people make. So you've mentioned the condensation issue, the VOC issue. So how, what do you see people, you know, and, and the taking time when you see people building or renovating, you know, I think, I think they f- can feel that this can be a big area that's really difficult to tackle without some specialist expertise. Some people aren't even aware of it when they sort of barrel in and they're given a raft of standard selections that a builder might be presenting to them or a designer might be presenting to them. What do you see are the common mistakes that people make that don't need to be made, you know, in terms of creating unhealthy environments for themselves? Well, I think location, location, location is, is still not to be underestimated. Working with the sites, with the climate, with the topography, you know, we want to harness the natural energy, the sun and the wind and all of these things. So buying a house off a plan and then putting it on a block and not considering the orientation of that is a major, major problem. And they're often the houses that will have more more issues because they'll cost more to heat and cool and they'll have if they've got, you know, if, if you're not harnessing the areas on the northern side and using the northern light, um, if you've got problems on the southern side, you will, you will end up with condensation issues if you're using single gla- single pane glazing, you know, um, particularly in temperate climates, that sort of thing. Um, but also I find with this subject there's so much greenwashing that it's, it's, it's not always a straightforward, oh, that's going to work in every scenario, in every circumstance, and that's what I mean about taking a little bit more time prior to beginning, a little bit of research and a little bit of thinking because sometimes you may have to source some alternatives and it's very hard to do that if the build started and we know how many quick decisions you've got to make once the build started and you often don't have time, you don't have time to research because the builder is saying, right, well, in four weeks' time, I need this, I need that, I need this, you know, the plumber's coming, the what, you know, it's, you need to consider these sorts of things prior prior to the build and also I think to sitting down and working out how you use your spaces what are your family's needs are you planning to stay there you know we we actually get people to say, like how are you going to use this room where is the bed going to go because I don't well, I want to make sure that no services are going to be placed on the other side of the wall of where that bed is going and if we don't consider this then you can put the door in a certain place, the window in a certain place, the walk-in robe, and you've only got one spot left for that bed. And lo and behold, there's a service on the other side of that that's drawing a current. Then that's not that's not ideal. That's not what we want. But if we just considered that beforehand, we could have we could have worked with that, and then we wouldn't even be dealing with that issue. So that's that's the beauty that's the beauty of this subject in building biology. It's one of my favourites um, because. An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. <laughs> you know, we don't have to. We don't have to try and fix the mistakes because we haven't made them. We've we've considered all this stuff at the beginning, and we're we're thinking about okay, we want to create a low allergy home. This person is sensitive to dust, um, or shoot, they're asthmatic, or they've got chemical sensitivity. So we really need to be really aware of what we're bringing in, like and how we ventilate and. You know, do we then additionally use some air purifiers as well? Because it's very difficult to do a build with no chemicals unless you can, you've got a block of land and you're doing like rammed earth or, you know, like it, it's it's almost impossible in a in a sort of, um, I hate to use the word, not normal, but in a, a commercially sensitive way yeah, just yeah, in terms yeah. of what's it's, available out there really, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. It's, you know, it's there really is no such thing as an adhesive without chemicals, you, you know. Um, they, you know, they've tried things in the past like using soy, soy glues and stuff, but they haven't had the results that they've needed with them, you know. Waterproofing membranes can be a problem. Yes, there's a huge chemical content, but the service life on these, these um, products is seven to ten years. Now, who renovates their bathroom every seven to ten years? Nobody I know. So this is a problem, you know, because these are supposed to last for a lot longer but the products we're using only have a warranty of a certain amount. You know, braided water hoses are another thing that tend to break after seven years. You know, these can all lead to mould mold issues later on down the track if we're not aware of, of, of these things. So it's... There's a there's a fair bit to it of the layering of a building, I think. And I think and like I often say to clients, you know, we have to compromise, you know, I suppose. And and 
But if the clients get really clear in their head at the beginning about their brief and really what, what's important to them, I think asking those questions at the very beginning, so what's important to you, what won't you compromise on, but what can we compromise on and where can we save what will you know? Where can we save a little bit of money? But what will we spend more money on? Because that's going to make a big difference. Like glazing is super important. Your floor finishes. I mean, if you finish a floor in polyurethane, it's going to off gas for years. Yeah. So let's look at some of these amazing different products that are on the market now. And from a building biologist perspective, we want our homes to be able to breathe. So the more hygroscopic materials that we can bring in, the better, um, because we want that building to breathe. And if we if we just coat everything in plastic, well, then that building can't breathe. So can you then explain how, like, where does a building biologist come into the process? If a homeowner is working with straight, you know, directly, I find, you know, some members of the UI community will go straight to a builder and work with the builder's draft person or designer to create their design and then move through the construction process. If they're renovating, they may do that as well, or they may go to a designer, a building designer or an architect and then, you know, choose a builder from that point on. Where does a building biologist best come into that process to, I suppose, add that dimension of expertise to make all of those selections? And everything you're saying is music to my ears because it's exactly what I talk to the UA community a lot about, about the importance of all of that preparation. I find a lot of people are barreling towards getting the thing yeah. built and they and every 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 minute of time that you spend in preparing before dirt gets turned on site is is time well spent in getting yourself set up for a really seamless and efficient and um and smooth construction process so i i definitely love the fact that you're talking about you know that preparation and the importance of that where do you ordinarily come in for your clients how do building biologists work with people how do they sleeve into that team to, um, you know, because I can imagine some homeowners would be worried about, oh, am I just going to rock the boat? And then I end up getting a builder charging me extra for all of these products. Am I, is this going to complicate things? You know, I do have allergies or I've got children that have got asthma. It's important to me, but is it going to just make my life far more difficult? Is the building really that going to be that bad? You know, I can see all of those sort of concerns and objections. Where where do you see it happening so that it goes as smoothly as possible and you're building together a like-minded team that actually is going to help you deliver a home that's healthy and, you know, a low-tox environment for yourself? Well, I think what you say about team too is important because it is a team process in a build. Um, you know, you've not only got the client's needs but you've got the builder to work with, you've got all the sub-trades and then you've got the designer's. Um, etc. And I think just um, being aware of all the different skill sets that people can bring to the table as well. So ideally, if we come on board early in the process is better. It can often be a bit trickier if we're coming in later because, um, I mean, I do offer different packages, but generally it's the, the great thing is to work with them from the very beginning and then I get a detailed brief from the client and I produce a report based on um, what their needs are and I can research and explore different materials because each client will have a different thing that's really important to them um, depending on what their situation is and then they're given a report that they can refer to and go back to as a reference point which will have supplies and things like that in it so um, and it will give them different options um, or I always I give a list of things to be included in the specifications with the builder so I always encourage them to make sure they do work with a builder that is open and is happy to listen to them um, you know and again when they're hiring flooring contractors or anything like that finding out if these flooring contractors are used to using um, different products if they have had experience with natural wood oils that sort of thing because sometimes you know they have to warranty it so they want to make sure that they know how to use the product but if their clients are aware of that from the very beginning then it's a much seamless process because that can start that can be included in the specifications can be discussed with the builder um, and it can be it can be one of those things that are being addressed you know from the very beginning I know with our building business um, when we changed a lot of what we were doing you know like the flooring contractors would go and learn more about these products and that sort of thing and it's just it's about them having an open mind and being prepared to work with different products some will and some won't and I get it because they have to warranty it I understand that um, but I just I think we need I think we sort of need to move away from that, oh, well, this is all I use kind of thing and be aware that there are more people out there now that want these products that are chemically sensitive 
uh, they're electrically sensitive and they're impacted by biotoxin illness. And these are the people that are much more sensitive to this type, these types of chemicals. So, you know, they're like the canaries in the coal mine, I suppose. So we need to respect that and see what best ways we can help them. So we look at creating a low allergy home, um, preventing issues with condensation and mould, um, looking to minimise EMFs. A lot can be done with wiring at design stage. Uh, it's very difficult once the blast of all on to start moving things. But that's what I was saying. You know, if you look at the plan and you think, great, this is how I'm going to move my – this is how the bedroom's going to set, be set up. This is where the kids are going. How, how can I wire this and configure this so that um, it's going to work, you know, it's going to work best for them and then we don't have to worry about that later on. So we, we talk about all of those sorts of things and so that they can already be addressing that in the electrical plan. And so if it's in the electrical plan and in the specifications, well, then it's not going to get missed and that sort of thing. And even like just, you know, making sure no pesticides are used on site unless the owners are aware of it, that no services are put anywhere unless it's been, unless the owner has definitely said, yep, that's ex that's exactly where I want that service to go. Do you know, just things like that because sometimes you'll get contractors come on and they might be in a hurry or whatever and they're trying to get the job done. You know, even, you know, we had one where it was actually our house <laughs> and we had an aircon unit put on later and of course the meter box was down at the front of the home and so they literally just ran a cable straight through the underneath the subfloor straight through the guts of the home which uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't have recommended that I would recommend they just use a little bit more cable and take it around you know further around the side that sort of thing so that but I think you know having that awareness and just being able to know that and understanding a little. You don't have to be an electrical engineer or anything like that, but just having that awareness and saying, no, actually, I don't I don't want that. If you're going to do a builder's clean, then I, want, then I don't want any chemicals used. I've just created this beautiful, sustainable, healthy home. I don't want a cleaner to come in and use a barrage of chemicals to clean it. You know, it's, it's stuff like that as well, I suppose. Yeah, it's interesting because I know that um, whenever – I remember when I was first learning this information myself, um, thinking, oh, my gosh, I've been killing my children. You know, it's like it's this whole kind of overwhelming thing. And, I, you know, I mentioned in the, in the introduction, you know, the house that we've moved into has the meter box directly on the outside wall of where mine and my husband's bedroom is and we initially had our bed on the same wall as that meter box and – and found that we just weren't sleeping very well. So we've moved the bed around. And the bed's actually now where I, as a designer, don't advise that the bed is because you have to you basically walk in beside the head of it. But, yeah. but layout-wise for where the meter board is in the house, it's what has to happen in this room. And the same thing where the internet comes into the house. You know, there's all these sorts of things around electromagnetic fields, those EMFs that I think can be quite nerve-wracking and scary for homeowners. The mould's another big one because I know that there's a lot more, you know, some of the UA community will also listen to Alex Stewart's Low Tox Life and know that she's had a lot of um, issues yeah. with mould illness over the past 12 months that have taken her a lot of investigation for her to navigate and get well again. And so, but I think what's really interesting is um, if you can instead frame it that there's always an opportunity to do a bit better. You know, there isn't, it doesn't have to be a complete skies falling in, you know, we can't do this at all. There can be an opportunity just to make a different choice and have a better outcome that may not be 100%, but perhaps it's 60 or 70% of where you would have been before. And what I think too is for, there's lots of people wandering around that don't, un, they don't understand why they don't feel well. And they're doing what you said, you know, going to doctors, getting, you know, uh, you know, Alex was going to doctor after doctor and just not getting the answers that she felt were right. And it was only because she was so persistent and her field of specialty that she kept digging. But I know there's lots of people that just they run out of steam, whereas it, if it can be changed with the way that your home environment, you know, is created, whether you're building or renovating or you're just basically fixing where, where you currently are, it's actually a huge opportunity to make a change that is going to improve your health and well-being, which I think is really exciting, um, you know, yeah. and a better way to think about it instead of getting really overwhelmed by it. Would you, would you sort of? Oh, I, I think you have to sometimes take a step back too because if it is a big, this is a big subject. Building biology itself is a big subject. We cover chemicals, allergens, uh, mould, water, EMFs. It's, it's massive. So, but, but at the same time, 
yeah, we have to look at where the occupants are living and what can we actually do about it. They may be renting, so then if they're renting, then we're more limited into what we can do. So we look at the different options that we can do in a, in a rental environment. If they're renovating, awesome, because this is a great time because we can make some awesome changes within that environment and um, and really set that house up. Sometimes, you know, I moved into this place here in Kurabel as 20 years old, so, you know, there's some aspects of it that are good and some not so good, um, and, you know, so I had to get an electrician out when we first moved in and, um, it, you know, Ethernet cable data points through the house and things like that, you know, but we're a bit short on data points, so we're gonna, sometimes we've got Ethernet cables <laughs> running around, with, you know, but, you know, it's but it works for us at the time being, and once we do more work because we're going to um, renovate this then we will uh, tackle those things so sometimes we just put some interim measures in place and then work around that and it can depend on the client too like um, if you're dealing with people that are electrically sensitive then a lot more attention needs to be paid to that side of things in some ways you know um, but definitely the problem with electrical hypersensitivity, multiple chemical sensitivity and biotoxin illness, they all have very similar biomarkers. They're a multi-symptom, multi-system um, diseases and, you know, so that's why a lot of the doctors when these patients present to them can't quite, can't quite initially figure out what's going on with them. So we need to do everything we can to lighten the load for them. Basically, we are surrounded by chemicals these days. There is a lot of chemicals on the market. Most of them haven't been tested for their impacts on you know, human health. That's the reality of it. So this is where, as consumers, we still have power, you know, as women, we control a lot of what comes into our houses. So we can say, no, I don't want those products. I'm not buying those products. I don't want the Ajax or the PinoClean or whatever it may be. Um, I'm going to support companies that are doing the right thing, that are using essential oils, that are ethical, um, that care about the environment, but they also care about me. So I'm going to spend my money on those products and not spend the money on the petrochemical solvent-based products. And so this is where we still have, you know, we still have power over what we do. We can't control everything out in the big wide world. It's just not possible. But in our home environments, we can. We still have a lot of control over them. So if we look at it like that, so we know that this is a big uh, subject. Um, obviously, in building biology, we cover water, um, allergens, mould, EMFs, uh, building materials and design. So there's a lot going on here. But if we just think about um, taking one thing at a time, if we're going to look at decluttering our house, if we just start with one small drawer. So if we're looking at this subject and we think, okay, so the first thing I really want to do is I don't have a water filter. I'm on town water. I realise that there's chlorine and fluoride. My child's got eczema. Um, so I'm actually going to install a bath and shower filter and get a water filter for the point of view sink. Great. That's the first. That's your first beginning um, of it. Then you know, um, looking at do you just um, not drinking out of plastic bottles. So ensuring that you're either drinking out of glass or stainless steel for the kids' food grade. Um, you know, maybe look at phasing out your Tupperware products and introducing glass, particularly for. Foods like spaghetti bolognese that you're going to freeze where it's more likely to leach the chemicals if you freeze that in, chemic, uh, in plastic. Um, what are the small changes that I can make on this journey um, that are going to make a difference? Do I just start by turning off my wireless router at night and when it's not in use? Um, you know, do I look at where the kids, do I check the back of everybody's bed and see if there's any services running behind them? And if so, then I move those beds away from it. When we're talking about electric and magnetic fields, it's the inverse square rule. So if we put distance from the source, then it's actually really helpful. Radio frequencies is a little bit different. Um, you know, like so looking at it from that perspective, what are the elements that I can change and then incorporating those and then seeing what a difference that makes for you rather than just going, oh, my God, there's too much going on here and I'm not going to do anything. And that's from a building biologist's point of view, we, we don't want that. We want to empower our clients so they walk away and they think, okay, I'm just going to start with three things. You know, that's all I'm going to start with and I'm going to feel good about those things that I'm starting with. Um, and and then that's where they begin the journey. Because, you know, even like I'm sure with food, I've had – lots of gut issues over the years and slowly, 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 you know, like I've modified 
things, but I couldn't do it all at once. It's taken time to do all of those things. Even when I started studying this subject, it's taken time before I could change my linen or change certain aspects. You know, I look back on the renovations that we did quite a few years ago and I think, wow, there's so much I would have done differently, but I, I didn't know. I mean, we put polyurethane on our back floor when we were joining up the old period home to the back bit and we moved in 24 hours later because we didn't have anywhere else to stay and um, I was pregnant and I had a two-year-old, you know. But <laughs> I didn't, didn't know. know. Yeah, yeah. Yep. <laughs> in hindsight, I was like, oh, that's probably was not a good idea. That's what I definitely would not recommend that. Um, <laughs> but I'm just saying, you know, we've all been there. We've all done that stuff. We're all mums and we shouldn't feel guilty about that. But we should feel empowered if we educate ourselves so we can make better choices moving ahead in the future. And that's, I think, is what, from a building biologist's perspective, we want people to realise you, you, if you don't know, you don't know, but then you can't do anything about it. If you know that there is potential problems with wireless technology and magnetic fields, then we can actually make some changes. We can be aware of that and make the changes. But if we don't know anything about it, then we can't make any changes. So and this is where being a conscious, conscious consumer comes in, Yeah, what I was talking about before, putting our money where the companies that are doing the right thing, that are being ethical, that care about our health, that are spending all this time making these beautiful products such as personal care products without chemicals um, and petrochemicals and synthetic fragrances, synthetic fragrances, you know. Okay, that's another thing. I, I'm just going to do one thing. I'm just going to get rid of the synthetic fragrances in my house and you'll probably be surprised, you know. Okay, the next time you run out of shampoo con and conditioner, I'm just going to change the I'm just going to change that. I'm going to find a better product, you know. So it doesn't have to be this all-consuming, oh, my God, the world's going to end sort of thing, but I'm just going to take simple steps and I'm going to make these changes. I, um, I think it's fantastic advice and I'd really encourage the UA community to remember that this is actually about, it is like, as you say, Narelle, about empowering yourself. It's not about getting overwhelmed by just the sea of information that's out there, but you know, I encourage the UA community. It's the whole reason that Undercover Architect exists is to, to know that as a community, as a purchasing, decision-making, you know, entity of people, we have within our power to, to completely change the industry across the board, you know, from how we're treated by professionals to how, you know, builders work with us to the kinds of products and materials that we have available to us to the types of homes that we get to create. So, I think that when we understand that that's within our reach and then we can gather the right team of people around us to fill that expertise gap, then it's an incredible opportunity to create homes that are going to be far better for us in the long run. So I can imagine when people are, you know, you've talked a lot about kind of living on a day-to-day -day basis, which is awesome because there are some really simple changes that you can make that will make a big difference. If you're building or renovating, obviously one of the biggest tips is to find a building biologist to be a part of the team <laughs> isn't it? so that you can get some help. But if you're, if you're building or renovating and you're going about making these selections and those types of things, how do you, what would be sort of a couple of key things that you would uh, recommend? We've talked about, you know, your electrical layout and getting some understanding of that in regards to EMF. You talked about the inverse square rule. So actually, I'm just going to do a quick side note. What is, what's the inverse square rule when it comes well, to EMF? So as far, so if you've got your source here, yes. as you double the distance, the um, strength of that field is going to drop off 75%. So this okay. is where, um, so Remembering, so so say if you've got a laundry on one side and a bedroom on the other and you've got your washing machine and your dryer there, then what you don't want to do is place a bed where it backs up to those appliances, yeah? Whereas it, if you place the bed on the other side of the room and those appliances are running at night, it's really not, it's really not so much of an issue because you're not close enough. That's why we suggest, as building biologists, we suggest so... If you've got a digital clock radio, they can have massively high magnetic fields. You'd be surprised. The tiniest little thing, and it can just be spiking at 425 milligauss and all sorts of stuff. So we suggest having it two metres away from the bed because then it's not going to impact you. Okay. That's thing. Yeah. So obviously, so getting that electrical layout assessment and having that understanding We've talked about um, enabling, you know, designing for orientation and enabling the home to breathe so that you can limit the amount of condensation that's um, created in the home and the potential production of mould and those types of things as well. 
Are there any other kind of key things that you'd recommend people look at that are kind of no-brainers in terms of creating a healthy environment? Uh, ensuring that the um, exhaust fans are all vented externally and not into the roof cavity. You'd be surprised at, um, you know, how often that happens. So that's a biggie. It seems like a really basic thing, but um, you definitely want to ensure that no exhaust fans are vented into the roof cavity and that you have appropriate sized um, exhaust vents for, for the to do its job plus an openable window just to, you know um, and that it's on the light switch timer so it automatically comes on when that room is in use I always suggest things like that um, look like we've talked about good design a good building good housekeeping practices understanding good drainage imperative so if you don't have good drainage on the site and you end up with any sort of water pooling near your foundation, you're going to have a problem. We know how heavy the rains can be up here. So in good drainage is, is can be the difference between a healthy building and a non-healthy building because if that water has got nowhere to go and it is impacting on the structure, then you will have problems. Um, so I always suggest over-engineering the drainage um, because that is really, really important. Brilliant. All right. So finding a good building biologist is obviously going to be key in all of this. What's your recommendation with assessing and finding good building biologists? So we've got our association's website, um, the asbb.org.au. Um, that's the Australasian Society of Building Biologists, so I'm president of that. We're actually having a conference in Sydney on the 27th of October, so if you want to come along and see some really amazing speakers and meet heaps of building biologists and learn more about the built environment and all of the different aspects of building biology, come and join us on the 27th of October. You can buy tickets on the website. And Narelle, I'm going to have links to, because you've got an amazing website, you've got lots of information on your website, so I'm going to make sure that there's a link in the show notes, but you've particularly got a resource that people can opt in for. Um, that's really helpful. Do you want to tell people a bit more about that and also some other resources that you might recommend if they're starting to learn about building biology? So I've got an e-book um, that you will receive if you sign up for my newsletter and that just basically walks you through the different rooms of the house and gives you some suggestions of what to do. Um, then the other thing I would suggest doing is the chemical maze is fantastic. Um, you can either have it as a little book or you can get the app, which is $9.99, awesome little tool for when you're in the supermarket for when you're assessing personal care products it's really really good I suggest if you're starting out just really starting to get label savvy it's an excellent tool and I think these days I know it seems a little bit boring but we really all need to get label savvy we do need to understand labels and how to read them because we really need to empower ourselves and be making these choices for ourselves I can't sort of stress that enough I'm afraid if, if you get one thing out of this I think if this myth that if it's on a supermarket shelf it's safe it's just it's really just not true <laughs> it is it's really hard because there is an assumption isn't there that if somebody's yeah. selling it to us then somebody's done some check somewhere and unfortunately what is actually the case is a lot of products and chemicals that are used in Australian products are actually banned overseas. That's particularly relevant in the building industry. You also have an issue with some products that have falsified standard documents because they're being exported out of factories in China um, and they're just, it's, they're just the rate at which they're arriving in the country. It's very difficult to keep up with those things. So I think your earlier comment about making sure that information is included in your specification to your builder, that's kind of the overarching caveat I think that can really protect you um, for any building or renovation project if your builder's going about finding substitutions if you've got information in there because there's going to be a myriad of decisions that need to be made that you may not get to be involved in based on the kind of builder that you're working with and the kind of project that you're doing but if you have that specification in place then you've got a legal um, contractual um, item that you can fall back on if substitutions get made that aren't in keeping or decisions get made that aren't in keeping with what you specified in signing the contract so it was, um, yeah, so I think getting a building biologist help with framing that specification is a really great piece of advice if this is an area of, uh, you know, um, expertise that you need in your project. So 
Narelle, I can't thank you enough. You've, you've provided so much gold in this interview. It's been brilliant. And um, as I said, I'll put all of the links in the show notes so you can find Narelle. You can find um, Narelle works with um, clients in lots of different ways. So you can check out her website and, um, and, and see how she can work with you to get help on your building or renovation project. And you can, and also, can, I, yep. can I give you another couple of resources? Oh, yeah, too? sure. Yep. Sorry, I cut yeah, you off. Yep. <laughs> no, no, that's all right. So I would also say if you're really interested in this topic, Nicole's book is um, a really um, great read, Healthy Home, Healthy Family. And the other community I want to tell you about is the chemfreecom.com community that is a online directory that can help you find products and services Australia-wide. So I just wanted to let... the readers um, not the readers the people know about that as well awesome that's brilliant thank you so yeah all of those links will be in the blog on the show notes um and so yeah it's just fantastic information so as i said i can't thank you enough for joining us and for giving so generously of your expertise and uh, yeah and you community i really encourage you to check out uh narelle's website and her company and uh yeah thanks so much for joining me thank you thanks amelia I really hope that you enjoyed my interview with Narelle McDonald. I found that there were so many actionable tips and, uh, you know, just pearls of wisdom in what she shared about how you can improve not only your existing home, but what to think about when renovating and building. And as I said, right at the beginning, you know, a lot of these things are really doable. They're just about making different decisions or getting, as Narelle said, some information upfront so that you can do some planning ahead of time before you start construction and arrange your home appropriately and make some really well-informed choices that are going to improve your home's ability to support your health and well-being and the health and well-being of your family. Now, all of the links that we mentioned in this episode will be in the show notes and on the blog. So head to those. There's loads of extra resources uh, and information that can really help you understand this area of building biology in more detail and also reach out to people that can support you in your project and be a member of your team so that you can, um, you can do this in a much more informed way. Now, meanwhile, please remember to share this season with your friends and family who might be planning a renovation or new build and share this podcast generally. I am so passionate about providing access to great quality information and professional expertise. I really want to teach you how to get it right in your future family home. So if you haven't, please head to iTunes, subscribe to the podcast so you always know when a new episode is fresh and ready to hit your ears. And also please rate the podcast and leave a review wherever you're located. This makes a massive difference to who iTunes shows the podcast to and whether they can uh, determine if it's relevant for them or not. Okay. Now I have a lot of uh, resources that I've mentioned in this episode. So I'm going to pop those in the show notes for you as well. So you can head there uh, if you want to do any further investigation yourself or grab some information from those resources. As always, my sincere gratitude and thanks to you. And thank you so much for tuning in and for letting me be your secret ally. Until next time, bye.